This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues that shape our lives with your guides, Dr. Matthew Jacoby and DJ Payne. Welcome to Thrive Perspectives. It's your old pal DJ Payne here. And with me, of course, is Matt Jacoby. And this is episode 18, part two of the series we're calling Death and Immortality with a very special guest from America, Dr. Clay Jones. Now, Matt, we've had a bit of feedback from the first episode with Dr. Clay Jones. Yeah, which was a great episode. I, I enjoyed that conversation with Clay. Uh, it, great to have a third person yeah in our little conversation isn't uh, it well i'm look I, I i if i can come out and be very very transparent i'm i'm ready to ditch matt completely oh you're getting <laughs> you're getting bored of me well <laughs> and having dr clay jones timely then so uh clay's clay uh talked about legacy and we were in the in the context yes. of talking about symbolic immortality projects yeah. and by that he meant ways in which we try to live on beyond death, like yeah. human ways in which that, we try to live on beyond that, death. That innate burning desire for, of, of mankind to leave a mark. Yeah, that's right. To, 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 yeah. Be, to be bigger than what our, our lifespan is going to be. That's right. So in that context, um, Clay talked about the idea of leaving a legacy mm. and, uh, and how that gets talked about a, a lot and... Um, and the different ways that we try to leave a legacy, whether it's with our children, whether it's a statue, whether it's our that's right, body yeah. of work, whether, whether it's making a podcast, that's whatever right. it is. Yeah. So, so a good question uh, came up around, well, don't we want to leave a positive legacy? Like, isn't, uh, isn't that actually a large part of what yeah. we want to do as Christians is to uh, pass on something, uh, pass on something good? Yeah. And, and absolutely, that is the case. <laughs> and, and I think, um, uh, and, and I'm, I'd be interested to, to hear from you how you interpreted Clay's comments on that. Yeah, well, I rem- as you're about to listen in, I think at the last episode, and we, I think we get into it in a little bit more on this episode as well. There, there's part of me, the thing I really responded to in, in, in when I first found Dr. Clay's work, both in his previous book about, you know, you know, evil and a good God and the world mm-hmm. in which we live and thinking about life and heaven and death and all that type of stuff. And especially in this book, I found myself to be totally honest with you, totally repenting of the desire to leave my mark, to yeah. leave a yeah. legacy. Yeah. That, that was the thing that struck me as well. Yeah. yeah. And I, and, and again, I don't look, I understand it, we're coming down to vocab, I think for, you know, or the meanings of people's words. I think for some people of a certain generation, wanting to leave a legacy for their children is how they've been wired, yeah. you know, even in a Christian way of thinking, which is not wrong. And that can be actually even a very positive thing. Of course yeah. it can. Of course it can. And there's plenty of verses in the Bible that spring to mind about training up our children, being a great example yeah. for our kids, yeah. being a great example for others in the church and yeah. stuff like that. So if the legacy is if the legacy is about Jesus Christ if the legacy is about making a mark for him, yeah. I'm fine with it. Yeah. But if the legacy is having my name on a plaque or someone remembering yeah. my name because of that, I don't want that at yeah, all so anymore. So that's the difference. So, so the, the idea itself um, actually is, is a valid idea, the idea of le- leaving a legacy. But this is, this is the thing about 
kind of corrupt humanity is that we we have this way of taking things that are good and yes. turning them around yeah. and and using them in the wrong sort of way. And so, I mean, one of the remarkable things, and this I think is a something that we are called to do as Christians, is to live in such a way to bring an incremental change in the world, yeah. uh, which which is going to have lasting effects. So mm. first of all, it has effects from, from our family. Like I, I want, um, I want to pass on a legacy to my children. It's not about me, but it's about uh, passing on that um, that Christian legacy oh. and and the blessing of God to my children. Amen. Not only to my children, but to those around me. So I, you know, I really hope that that when I die, that that lives on. So. In that sense, um, that legacy is actually a really important thing to think yep. about. You know, so um, and and I and I've heard some great messages around. You know, what what legacy are you leaving? Uh, and often, and some of the best messages that I've heard on that often do actually make the distinction: is it about you, or is it about Jesus? Of course. And and I think that's a I think that's an important distinction to make. So I think what Clay is talking about there is the very self-centered uh, legacy, yeah. uh, whereas what I think the Bible advocates and I think what we should think about is leaving an endurous, enduring, enduring legacy of blessing in Jesus' name. That's, Matt, great way to put it. And I would encourage you, if there's something that Clay says or even that we say in these two episodes talking about it, and it sort of hits you in a certain way and you go, oh, oof, that hurts yeah. or that... Uh, Rethink about it. We're not. We're not attacking. We don't want to feel like we're attacking anybody or anybody's, mm. you know, what they're building in their life. Just have a rethink about it. If, yeah. if you're feeling that sting, which I have felt many times yeah. as as we've been going through this, um, I've had to sit and dwell on it a little bit, which has been yeah. really, really well. Helpful. I, I it, actually, when I came away from that episode, I actually got to thinking about that and thought, oh, I think. We probably need to add some clarity to that anyway. Yeah. And it was interesting that that question came up in a conversation with someone. So, yeah, always appreciated. All right. Well, uh, you've, you've heard enough of us, uh, you know, with the preamble here. Let's get into it. This is part two of our really scintillating conversation with Dr. Clay Jones about death and immortality here on Thrive Perspectives. Clay Jones, uh, fantastic that you're still with us, and you've you've set the scene in dare I say a very bleak way uh, for us. That uh, you know we we are all destined for death. We crave immortality. We crave eternity. Uh, we've already pointed out that the Bible points out that that is 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 part of God's design in our hearts. And you've outlaid what you call the immortality projects, whether that's something symbolic, whether we want to live on through our children or our good deeds or even our bad deeds, or whether we actually, like science fiction movies are putting out there, we want to upload our consciousnesses into the cloud and become one with the matrix or whatever. There's all these different projects here around this. I would I would love to throw a question to you to begin with. As I'm listening to you, talking about this and you mentioned Elon Musk and is there any aspect that of all of these pursuits that a Christian could get involved in or support? Uh, the only pursuit that you should support is loving the Lord and being and loving his, your neighbor. Uh, that's what you should support. Uh, 
people, you know, I'm, it's not lost on me that, that, you know, I'm talking in my book, I'm talking about immortality projects and the attempt to live on. It's not lost on me the irony of that. Well, you wrote, couldn't this be considered an immortality project? Well, indeed, it could be. But and my goal is to remember the the audience of one, uh, because remember in 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most famous passages where he says, you know, Paul says, if I speak with the men, tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm just a clanging gong or a noisy cymbal. He says, if I give up my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. See, doing things that are actually, even if they're helpful things, but if you're doing them for the wrong reasons, if you're doing them out of selfishness and out of building a name for yourself, Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, they profit you nothing. And I, I really think that Christians need to sit down and take a hold of that. So I try to remember the audience of one and and, uh, you know, and Jeannie and I have memorized the first Corinthians four, one through four, that basically, I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but it basically Paul starts, but he says, I'm, or one of the things he says, I care very little if I'm judged with, by you or any human court. Uh, he says, it is the Lord who judges me. See, that's what we need to do. And I, some Christians are saying you need to leave a legacy. Uh, that's mistaken. And in my book, I quote Sean McDowell, who's a colleague of mine, and Sean McDowell is talking to Oz Guinness. And he says to Oz, he says, so what do you think your greatest le legacy will be? And I love what Oz's reply he says, legacy is a worldly concept. And I think that's exactly right. But an awful lot of Christians are saying you need to leave a legacy. No, you need to work hard to love your neighbor and love the Lord and do things in those lines. Because Trying to make a name in any way, shape, or form for yourself, as opposed to for the Creator, that's not. That's just. That's just wrong, and it's destructive, and it's sinful, frankly. And and uh, and you're not going to be rewarded if you're doing things to make a name for yourself. And that's just all there is to it. Yeah, it. it a lot of this shows how deeply innate our desire for eternal life actually is, and and that would suggest to me that. Um, you know, the strength of that sort of innate drive uh, to live forever, you know, would suggest that that's what we were made for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's exact. We were made to live forever. I couldn't agree more, Matt, that we were made to live forever. That's the master plan. Uh, we are eternal beings, and that's exactly what, what God wants of us, is to, to he, he intends for us to live forever. Like I said, the most famous verse in the Bible ends with, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, that's the major, that's the plan, folks, and, and let's get on board and have the kind of eternal life that Jesus offers. The trouble is, and I talk about this a lot in my book, Why Does God Allow Evil? The trouble is, is Satan has made heaven look like a place you don't want to go. And that's hugely important in this discussion, because uh, if heaven looks like a really terrible, boring, hideous place, well, that's really going to be very hard on you. In fact, that's one of the atheist's first arguments against Christianity, is heaven would, eternity would be necessarily tedious. Uh, so, but, but, uh, I, when I, I saw, sorry to interrupt you, Clay. I love that point. Okay. I saw you interviewed on YouTube a couple of times and you went down, you drilled down hard on that concept of most people when asked what color heaven is. Yeah. Right. Tell us about that. Well, the overwhelming, yeah, the overwhelming majority of people th think that heaven is white. 
and I was teaching on this in Boston. And and this the next day, the guy that was picking me up and taking me to the venue, he says he's driving along. That night, he was driving along with his five-year-old son. He said he looked at his son. He says, "What color is heaven?" And his son immediately went, "It's white." Well, if you look that, you know, white is like the most boring thing of all, right? I mean, white, heaven's just going to be white. But when you see heaven portrayed, it's always portrayed as white. Uh, if you read Revelation, actually, it, heaven, if anything, is jewel-toned. It's not white, it's jewel-toned. Uh, but what the way heaven is portrayed to us is we're all going to be sitting on clouds, uh, strumming harps, sporting flightless wings, and singing forever and ever nonstop in a loop. The Bible doesn't teach any of that, not even singing forever. That's just simply not true. I call this, by the way, uh, I think this is Satan, some of Satan's very, very best work. A young woman, an undergrad came to me one day and she fought back tears as she expressed to me that she was afraid she didn't want to go to heaven. And I'm not surprised by that, frankly, because uh, I call it what Satan has done, extreme makeover, metaphysical edition where Satan has made heaven look like a place you just really, absolutely, positively do not want to go, but hell is being made to look like a place, well, maybe, hey, my friends are going to be there. I remember when I was in the seventh grade attending the United Methodist Church that the one of the, the daughter of the pastor's daughter was in my Sunday school class, and she said, I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are going to be. Uh, indeed, Mark Twain said, choose heaven for the climate and hell for the company. See, this is Satan. Some of Satan's best work is to make heaven look like a place you don't want to go. And so I, I emphasize to everybody, heaven in the Old and New Testaments is most often compared to a banquet. And I just, I, we, we need to get a hold of that. Uh, you know, that's not all we're going to be doing is banqueting for sure. Our occupation is reigning with Christ, but heaven is most often compared to a banquet. Uh, it's not compared to a choir. Uh, in fact, I can't think of it ever being compared to a choir. We are going to sing, no doubt, because we're going, everybody, people love to sing. Um, but as we appreciate the Creator, we're going to want to sing. But so, yeah, anyway, we, we've got to get heaven right, and we've gotten it wrong. And frankly, so who wants to go there? I wouldn't want to go there if I was just going to sit on a cloud, be a cloud potato, and strum a harp and sing all day long. It just sounds terrible. And so, uh, yeah, we, we've got to undo—that's part of what we as Christians need to undo. That's why in Immortal, the book we're talking about, the last two chapters are about he on heaven. And in my book, Why Does God Allow Evil?, the last three chapters are, are related to heaven, because we've got to change this, because if you think heaven's going to be a terrible place to go, that's a bummer. And by the way, I'm going to say something—I um, don't know how—I'm not that familiar with the Australian audience, but I'm going to say something— uh, that might be a little bit edgy for people. Just a thought for, for you. Uh, God was the one that created orgasms. Where did they come from? The creator, the God, the Lord created orgasms. Um, and I say that just simply to point to, I want to shake people a little bit. And, and I want them to go, what on earth is he talking about? Because I want them to think, you know what? Some of the best pleasures that we have in life, eating and drinking and sex, God created those pleasures. He's not anti-pleasure. I was talking about this in a church about a year ago, and this woman, after she, I was done, she comes up and she says, uh, yeah, I was sitting at a restaurant called the Cheesecake Factory, and I was sitting there eating a piece of cheesecake and drinking a glass of wine, and I said, this is so wonderful, it must be sinful. And I, see, this is... <laughs> This is Satan's work, that God is actually anti-pleasure when God actually created all the pleasures. And in fact, in, in uh, Psalm 16, 9, 
it says, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore, that he intends to give us pleasures for eternity. So I just, I want to shake people up a little bit. Uh, God is is pro-pleasure. Satan never created any of them. He's created all of them. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the increasingly popular uh, view, and, and we've talked in the last episode about that scientific materialism or naturalism, as you called it, um, the, the view there is that when we die, we just shut down. You know, it, it's just kind of black nothingness. So... Uh, what 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 sort of effect what sort of effect do you think that increasingly popular view is going to have on people or is having yes uh, yes 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 that we're going to switch off there's the key uh you know one of the things that's so important for christians is to realize you're not going if you have trusted jesus and really are a christian you're not going to experience death jesus said that you will never experience death and i think that's shocking jesus wasn't living in denial he knew that every single person's body is going to die. Uh, but what he means is that your consciousness is not going to click off. You're not going to have like a computer doesn't have to go. I got to reboot my computer, turn it off and then wait for a few seconds and then turn it back on. You're not going to have that kind of experience. In fact, it may take a few moments, maybe even a few minutes before you realize that you've died. You might not know that you've died until you look back and see yourself, you know, in a mangled car or on an operating table and go, wow, I'm dead. Uh, your, your consciousness, you're not going to blink off. You're not going to experience a reboot. You're, and that's why Jesus says you have eternal life. Uh, I like my wife actually came up with this. There's three stages of eternal life. The first stage is the one that we're experiencing right now in the body. The second stage is when your body dies, and then we're going to be in an immaterial state as we're waiting for the third stage, which is when the Lord comes back uh, at the judgment, and then we're going to be given our resurrected bodies. I think that's really cool. Some, by the way, some people go, oh, I don't want to be a disembodied spirit for, for any period of time. And I'm like, are you kidding? I can't wait. I, I mean, <laughs> I would like to experience that. What are you talking about? But but ultimately, though, we're going to have bodies. and We're going to have bodies like Jesus' glorified body. Jesus' glorified body could be hugged, yet he could enter locked rooms. Uh, he passed through his grave clothes, clothes without disturbing them yet and he but he appeared and disappeared um he ate fish and drank wine for crying out loud uh and by the way that's in his post-resurrection body which that's not a very good i pointed that out to vegans by the way when i've debated pete on on four occasions i pointed that out to them that jesus ate fish in his post-resurrection body and they really struggle with that but anyway uh uh Anyway, we have to correct this very wrong, in fact, I think, satanic view, satanically inspired view of what heaven is, because heaven, Satan is trying to make heaven look like a place you don't want to go, but you're not going to just switch off. Um, so, absolutely. There, there, are, there are people, though, so, for example, atheists uh, would and, and uh, scientific materialists would say that we do just switch off. Um, uh, again, what, what effect do you think that, that view has on them? Well, I think that's why I think it, boy, I go through my book on so many different kinds of things on this. Uh, that's one of the big things that leads to anarchy. Uh, I'm just going to die 
And so I might as well change the world somehow, even if it's by burning it down. I at least can live on through burning it down with, you know, as you probably know, and I, you might be having, I think you might are having some of these in Australia, but in the United States, we've have all kinds of riots going on right now. And I watched this poor, stupid young man jump on the hood of a moving SUV. The SUV was able to shake him off right away. And they were able to get a camera in front of his face and say, what are you doing? He said, I'm changing the world. I'm thinking, no, you're stupid. Uh, that's not change. You didn't change the world by driving, jumping on the hood of a driving, moving SUV. But see, this is the kind of thing that people think. You know, I mean, it's going. But what this leads to is denial. Uh, people have to deny that they're going to die, and then they have to distract themselves from the fact that they're going to die. That's why, by the way, movie stars and sports stars uh, are paid so much money because they they do the most important thing in the world. They distract us from the fact that we're going to die. Uh, I don't think people realize that they actually provide that very valuable thing. But this leads to depression, and it just leads to all kinds of psychological and emotional problems. Uh, and and suicide, by the way, is the result of, of thinking that you're going to die and there's no God. Uh, be, people go, well, that seems counterintuitive. You're afraid of dying. Why would you commit suicide? But as, Irv, uh, as Stanford psychiatry professor Professor Irving Yalom put it, he says, suicide is an active act. It allows one to control that which controls one. And I think that is exactly right. And so people that are, have given up on God and have given up on any meaningful afterlife, these people are desperate. I mean, absolutely, positively desperate to find something to fill the void. And so symbolic immortality and maybe some hope of literal immortality and brain uploading and blah, blah, blah. They're hoping that this is going to happen. It's never going to happen. It will not satisfy. By the way, Alex Rosenberg, who's at Purdue University, uh, he said, uh, I think it's Purdue or it's Duke, Duke or Purdue. But anyway, he says, you know, he writes this book on how to deal with life as an atheist. And his last sentence is just absolutely amazing to me. He says, a, a correct, first, he begin, in the last paragraph, he says, a correct philosophical understanding of the universe is not going to do it with death fears. You need more than that. So his last sentence, and when I've read all these books on how people deal with death, the last sentence was always very important to me. Let's see what they end with. And Alex Rosenberg ends with, he says, he says, you know, what you need to do is to take Prozac or your favorite serotonin reuptake inhibitor and keep taking them until they kick in. So in mm. other words, this atheist is going, what you need to do is use drugs. And he's mm. not a dropout, right? He's a professor at a university. He's not a dropout, but he's going, the answer to dealing with death fears is take drugs. Well, there, there you go. See, that's the desperation of the naturalist situation. And so they're they're doing all these bizarre things and trying to live forever through symbolically. And, and But that's not even going to work, so they just end up taking drugs. Yeah. Real quick, we're going to take another break and then we'll we'll wrap it up, Clay. But I, I, I've got a, a personal question for you. You, you. I love your conviction. I love your your frankness in how you speak about these, you know, massive subjects. Where did your conviction come from? Where did this adamancy, you know, originate? Did you have to struggle through this personally for yourself? I think it, yeah, well, I'm not sure how every, much everybody's going to like this, but I think it came through, going through a lot of suffering. Uh, and I've been a Christian now in this coming October. I'll have been a Christian for 51 years. I became a Christian. I was not raised a Christian. I, I like to say my dad was an atheist. My mother was an astrologer. And together we attended the United Methodist Church. Uh, but uh, I be my dad became a Christian, I think, when I was 11. 
I became a Christian at 12. And to me, Christianity was the pearl of great price, the treasure in the field. But I ended up going through a lot of different kinds of suffering. And, uh, and I mentioned some of them in the book. But one of them is uh, that I had, had bone, got bone cancer. Uh, in in uh, 17 years ago, I had bone cancer, and I lost part of my spine to bone cancer. Turns I'm fine, by the way, because they were able to simply, I lost my tailbone, the bone above that, and half the bone above that to bone cancer. But they misdiagnosed that originally, that I had a very severe cancer. In fact, they misdiagnosed it as a cancer that killed Ravi Zacharias. That's, a, that's what they misdiagnosed it as. They misdiagnosed the biopsy as being that I would had the cancer that took the life of Ravi Zacharias. But I think going through suffering, and then here's the key, though, it's not just going through the suffering, but then it's coming out of that suffering and saying, you know, I'm a better person. God has actually used this suffering in me to make me a better person. And then there's one more thing, and that is uh, the Lord began to reveal to me in 1981 or 1982 the glory that awaits us in heaven forever. And when I began to realize that and really began, and, and through suffering, one of the things about suffering says suffering, Romans 5, 2, suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Perseverance, just going through suffering and, and doing it with God, with the Lord, makes gives you godly character. And then when you end up at the end of the suffering, you come out the other side of it, you go, you know, I'm actually more Christ-like than I was then before I went through the suffering. I don't regret having bone cancer, even though I was in an immense amount of pain for a, for about a year and a half. I was in increasing pain until they finally correctly diagnosed what I had. Uh, I was in so much pain, I couldn't even sleep. But I wouldn't trade that for anything because God used that to make me into a more godly person. And because I, I this Christian thing, I, I always kid. This is I'm I'm kidding now, okay? But uh, being a little facetious, I sometimes I go up to people and I'll go, especially I did this with J.P. Moreland. I'll go, you know, this Christian thing that everybody's all excited about. And I think uh, J.P. Moreland looked at me and he's like, "Where where are you going with this?" I said, "It's true. It's the <laughs> actual state of affairs of the universe." Christianity is true. It's not just a nice idea. It's true. All other beliefs are false. Everything else is wrong. And atheists and non-Christians that don't believe it, they're just simply wrong. In fact, it's because of their sinfulness that they reject Christianity. It's not because they have good reasons. I know that makes atheists mad and tough taquitos about that. The reason you don't stick with Jesus and that you aren't sticking with Christianity is because you don't want it to be true. You're not giving it up for purely intellectual reasons. So anyway, I guess that's uh, in a nutshell. There you have it. <laughs> what a great nutshell that is. Let's take a quick break here and we're going to wrap up this conversation with Dr. Clay Jones. We're going to be looking at, uh, you know, the Christian's response to this whole concept of death and the fear of death next here on Thrive Perspectives. Hey there, it's DJ Payne interrupting this conversation between myself, Matthew, and Dr. Clay Jones. And for some of you, I'm your old pal here on the podcast, but 
very excitingly, for a lot of you, I'm a brand new friend. That's right, it's a brand new mate here, DJ Payne, and you are more than welcome to this podcast, Thrive Perspectives. If you're here, especially because of Dr. Clay Jones, well, let me roll out the red carpet for you. We're so, so thankful that you have got the finest of all taste to be here because of this absolute legend. I want to tell you a little bit about what we do on Thrive, but I also want to tell you and spruik a little bit for Clay Jones. If you don't know Dr. Clay Jones, he is a doctor of ministry from the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's also a visiting scholar for the Master of Arts in Christian Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology. He uh, hosted for many years the Contend for Truth nationally syndicated call-in talk show from those uh, talk shows. He did an amazing job debating uh, different talk show hosts. He debated professors, cultists, religious leaders. Uh, he He debated people from the animal rights, abortion rights, gay rights, atheist organization. An amazing show. And I think that's why he's so unflappable because of that. And Dr. Clay Jones has written two books. The first book, and that's the book that I first discovered, Dr. Clay Jones, was a book that he released a few years ago called Why Does God Allow Evil? Compelling Answers for Life's Toughest Questions. Fantastic book, highly recommended. But the book that we're talking to him about over these episodes is his brand new book, Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. It's just been released Now, if you want to get all those links, they're in the show notes of this episode that hopefully, depending on the podcast player that you use, you can see them right there in the show notes. But if you haven't got access to that, please head over to our website, thrivetoday.tv. That's thrivetoday.tv. We'll have all the links to Dr. Clay Jones' website, his books, Uh, You can even see a photo of Dr. Clay Jones. And also, while you're there, you can find out a lot more about Thrive and what we do. Uh, Not only on this podcast that you're listening to, Thrive Perspectives, but you can also hear about our other podcasts, Thrive Deeper, our booklets called Thrive, and all the ministry that we do. We would love you to become part of that Thrive family. We've got all the links there how you can contact us and get involved there. It's really, really simple. Hey, that is enough from me, your old pal DJ Payne. Let's get back into this episode of Thrive Perspectives with Dr. Clay Jones. You're on Thrive Perspectives. It's DJ Matt and Clay here coming live from California with us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, Clay. We want to wrap up this conversation and we've been talking about immortality, your fantastic new book. Uh, We've even mentioned your previous book as well. We're going to have all the links to all of that in our show notes on our website. But I I want to address the fact that I think, and you've, you've already brought it up as well, there are a lot of Christians in our churches, in our society, that are walking around with a fear of death as well. That's right. That's right. Uh, my experience is in talking with Christians, the overwhelming majority of uh, Christians fear death. 
some of them, of course, quite a, unfortunately, quite a few. About 71% of Americans self-identify as being Christians, uh, and about half of those identify as being evangelicals. They're not. I mean, they're just not. And so, of course, I mean, they're they're Christians in name only. They 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 prayed the prayer maybe, but they don't really believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and was raised from the dead, and that Jesus is coming back. They don't really believe that. But anyway, as for even though those really are sincere Christians. Uh, they have a fear of death, and and most of them do, in my experience. And the reason for that is, is because they do not have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. They just don't. Uh, and it's very easy for us to love this present world. And that's one of the big blessings, if you will, of, of this COVID-19 thing. Uh, and the economic shockwave that's ensued from that is it's helped us not love this present world. Uh, that is the benefit, and that's one of the reasons the Lord brings trials into our lives frequently is because he wants us to to help us not love this present world. Uh, because as John says in 1 John 2, he who loves the world, love of the Father will not be in him. Uh, yes, and so, yeah. Uh, yeah, most Christians, they're in love with this present world, which they need to get on their knees and repent, and hopefully COVID-19 and stuff will reveal to them their love for this world, and that they do not love the Father as they should, uh, and they'll get on their knees and repent. Uh, but uh, then a lot of people, though, like I say, and and we we really can't spend too long on this, really do have a view of heaven as being a place where you're going to sit on a cloud and strum a harp and sing uh, while sporting flightless wings forever. They really do have that view. They really do think heaven is white and all we're going to do is sing. Uh, well, that's not a place anybody wants to go to. Uh, and then most people are, well, look, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, being self-controlled and sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's not three commands. He says, uh, being self-controlled and sober-minded so that you can set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's the reason you need to do this. Most Christians don't do that. Most mm -hmm. Christians are not focused on heaven. They're worldly focused. And that's terribly damaging to their Christian lives. And by the way, some people go, well, I don't want to be so heavenly minded. I'm no earthly good. Uh, I have never met that person. I've been a Christian now since I was 12. I've never met a person who was so heavenly minded. He was no earthly good. I don't think that person exists. I have met people who were mystically minded where they weren't any good for anything. Uh, but I've never mm. met someone who's so heavenly minded they were no earthly good. In fact, C.S. Lewis points out, he says, if you study history, you'll find that those who did the most for this world were those who had the biggest view, the most conscious view of heaven. And I think that's true. Uh, and so... I, Satan, you know, my, you know, when it came to that so heavenly minded thing, Satan was the first one to say that, and he's disseminated that to his minions as a talking point ever since. Uh, we need to be heavenly focused. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'll quote it out, and I've memorized it. Dallas Willard, by the way, asked me to encourage us to memorize this, but in a class I took from him years ago, uh, Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4 says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you've died and your life is hid with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. How many Christians do that? Very few. Sad Sadly, most of them are trying are seeking out symbolic immortality projects or even literal ones in the sense that they're going to eat right and diet, you know, and exercise just the right amount. And, that, you know, maybe science one day will save them. 
but we need to instead give all of that up and we need to set our hope on heaven because it, you know what? And back to your thing, DJ, if you really have a profound sense of working for the audience of one, the rest of it doesn't matter. And you can easily say, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. And I think that's really the point is it's just, I work for Jesus. Now, look, I, I need to back off here a little bit and say, I get worldly sometimes for crying out loud. I, I mean, I, I don't run on pure fuel all the time. I don't. Sometimes I can sit there and look for the praise of men. That happens. But I keep when that when I realize that I keep, I try to readjust and look again to the audience of one. Yeah, that's great. I I think probably a couple of reasons why Christians fear death. I mean, one of course is uh, not having fully believed the gospel. Uh, in other words, that they they feel that. Um, they feel doubtful about whether they really will be accepted by God. I mean, that's that's a big one, isn't it? And and then the other one, of course, is is just the sense of unknown. I mean, death is it's such an overwhelmingly inconceivable experience for us in life sure. that uh, and and maybe fear isn't the right word. Maybe it's a kind of nervousness. Well, it is a sort of fear, isn't it? It's a nervousness about going through something that is completely unlike anything that I can even imagine right now. Yes. Oh, yeah, sure. I, I You know, I tell you, again, we need to have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus, and that's where people people don't have that. Jesus said, uh, he says, people will, people will deliver you over to tribunals and stuff. He says, but they won't be able to hurt a hair on your head. Well, wait a minute. If they set you on fire as a Christian, which has happened a lot in church history, or they cut your head off, it's going to hurt a hair on your head. So what does Jesus mean by that? What Jesus means is, he's, Jesus, again, isn't living in denial, but what Jesus means by that is they can't touch the eternal you. There's nothing they can do to in harming your body that's going to touch the eternal you. And so we need to, we've got to ha start refocus and have a robust sense of eternal life in Jesus. You know, when they misdiagnosed my cancer, they said to me, uh, you know, that my orthopedic oncologist said, you know, he says, if this is the kind of cancer you have, we're, go we're not going to take it out. We're going to start you on chemo. If chemo shrinks the tumor, we might opt to take it out. Well, I knew that was very bad. I'm, in fact, yeah. you know, I mean, the, the mortality rate on that, it was like two years at 100%. Um, well, uh, uh, you know, I mean, that was extremely hard news. But for a while there, I thought I was going to die. Uh, and I thought, you know, this, or at the very least, even if I wasn't going to die, this is going to be a very, very hard time. And in the midst of all of that, but I'm going to say something that I realize some of your listeners may think this is crazy talk, but I wasn't afraid of the state of being dead. Yeah. I was afraid of leaving my wife. I, that, that hurt me. And that's why tears, as I say in my book, um, my Why God Allows Evil book, tears were streaming down our faces because I didn't want to leave my wife alone. I did not. Uh, I was afraid of the way that I might die. In other words, I, die, I don't want to die in pain. But I wasn't afraid of the state of being dead. And uh, I, all I can say is uh, people can, in fact, I even thought, you know, during that time, although it was really hard and really grueling, I found it kind of exciting. 
And I think people have looked at me and gone, man, are you you are from another planet. And in a sense, I hadn't thought about this until just this moment. Really, I am. <laughs> and so are you. We're, we're, we belong to another realm. We do. And, but, but I had become so convinced and so locked into my head that I'm going to immediately transition into the next world that it was like I'm, you know, that being the state of being dead mm. didn't scare me. How I might die, yeah, sure. Like, I don't want to die of Alzheimer's. If the Lord chooses that path for me, then I will honor God through it as best as I can until the end. Uh, I don't want to die painfully of cancer, but if that's what the Lord asks of me, then I will Then I will honor him until the end. But the state of being dead, that doesn't scare me. And I just, again, I'll just say for the last time, we need to have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. Yeah, and, and that's such a central thing, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of... As Christians, we talk a lot about the crucifixion of Christ and the sacrificial death of Christ, but the resurrection really is is the climactic point of the gospel, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Je- Jesus' death on the cross paid the way so that we could have eternal life. Uh, so that we could be enter into his kingdom as sons, where we're going to inherit the kingdom. Uh, we're not going to get to visit it. Uh, we're inheriting it. We're, you know, Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're going to reign over the kingdom. The last verse of the Bible before the epilogue, Revelation 22, 5 is, and they will reign forever and ever. Yeah. We're going to reign over God's kingdom with Jesus forever. That's yeah. our occupation. Yeah. And it's exciting when you wrap your mind around it. Yeah. But if you're watching Friends reruns nonstop, you're not <laughs> going to have time to wrap your mind around that. I love it. I love it. I love the I love the preaching side of it coming out. You've got to you've got to lay that conviction on yeah. the listeners' hearts. That's, that's great. Yeah. Clay, listen, I think um it has been absolutely phenomenal having you on as our, as our very first special guest. Like I said, we'll have links to everything that you that you do. Uh, if people want to reach out and get in contact with you, you you're active on Twitter and uh, you know you're out there on social media and stuff. But uh, we just want to say a massive thanks, mm. not just for your time here with us, but 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 for your faithfulness to the Lord in your teaching and your writing and everything that you're doing there, uh, and not just you, your wonderful wife as well with what with with everything that. That she's working on. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure to be with you. It's been great. We're going to leave it there. Our, our, and I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there. Our first conversation, our first ever conversation with Dr. Clay Jones. Hopefully, it's not the, not the last. But what a place to leave it. You know, uh, Dr. Clay Jones. So, how? Do, what's the word? So, so perfectly summing up the Christian's worldview of death. Yeah, that's right. You that's know, it's, right. A, it's a topic we don't like talking about. Yeah, it isn't. Um, but I, as Clay was talking about that. It struck me. One of the things that particularly struck me with this was this idea that the transition from this life to the next yeah. is not like um, turning off a computer <laughs> that you then have to re, re, reboot. Yeah. I mean, I love yeah. his comment that it may well we may not even notice that we died. Yeah. And and you know, there's a there's this wonderful sense in that uh, really death is not the end of life; it's yes. the beginning of life for yeah. us. Yeah. You know, for those of us who. Uh, have that hope in Christ there is 
there is this wonderful sense, and, and I think, you know, I know we all know this, but in Jesus Christ we have eternal life. Amen. And that means that that death isn't really death, that death is a gateway to a life that makes this seem like death. And, and, and the thing for me that when, when uh, Clay was talking um, because you know my my formative mind as a, as a, as a young teenager and as a young you know a young adult was really shaped by C.S. Lewis in a massive yeah. way. Immediately, I go to the Narnia Chronicles yeah. and I go to the end of the Narnia Chronicles where our heroes were, you know, in a train and they hear a loud noise and they're continuing. And it's not until hours later that they realise that that loud noise in the train. I don't want spoilers for the yeah. Chronicles of Narnia was them dying. They wow. died. Yeah. And they didn't realize it. They just yeah. went on into yeah. into the next life, and it was and it took yeah. it took them a long time to go. Oh, that's right, <laughs> that's right. And, and it's better. And I think this is what I would want to leave uh, to leave our listeners with is this amazing truth that those first of all those that you know and love who have died in Christ, and we've said this before in this in this podcast they now are more alive than you are. They are more alive than you are. They, they have not passed so much into death. They have passed into fullness of life. Mm. And that's what we have to look forward to because Jesus Christ overcame death and he gives us eternal life. And so when we die, it is the beginning of fullness of life with God forever. listening to Thrive Perspectives, we want to hear from you. So send us your big questions and ideas. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, download other shows, see all of our resources and much, much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visiting the website, ratethispodcast.com slash Thrive Perspectives really helps us reach more people. So head to ratethispodcast.com slash Thrive Perspectives. We hope that these shows will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective and thrive. was another DJP.FM production. <laughs>